On today's Blue Bay Insights podcast, we're joined by our Chief Investment Strategist, David Riley. Welcome, David. Hi, Alex. We've seen huge volatility in financial markets in the last few weeks, as the coronavirus has spread with big corrections in equity markets, widening credit spreads and government bond yields falling to record lows. Have markets overreacted? It's certainly the case that the volatility and daily moves we've seen across asset markets, it's been really violent. It's been more violent and more dramatic than even during the global financial crisis. Uh, I do think the bond market is basically pricing uh, recession. I don't think, as of yet, equity and credit markets are are there. I think they're pricing stagnation, not a protracted um, recession. I mean, some of the moves that we've seen have been extraordinarily um, violent, but you know, we're we're kind of now reaching the levels uh, and, and the wides of the 2015-16 um, episode when, again, there were fears around global growth and, of course, there was a, this collapse in um, oil prices. Uh, credit, I think, is pricing sort of a 6 to 8% default rate over the next 12 months. Now, that's a you know a pretty meaningful rise from current levels, which are only around about sort of 2 3 4%, um, but not yet to recession levels of default uh, risk and and similarly, I think equity markets, uh, U.S. equity markets have gone from pricing six percent earnings growth to 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 around zero or, or small negative, but not the kind of deep negative earnings implied by recession. So so the markets, broadly speaking, except maybe the the, the government bond market is price is not pricing a protracted recession, but rather a sort of short lived and painful downturn, followed by recovery in the second half of the year. And, and I do think, although the speed and magnitude of the sell-off has been pretty extraordinary, I think at times the selling has been indiscriminate and panicky. I think if you step back overall, I think from where markets were previously, which you know, one could argue were overvalued levels, I think markets have more or less reacted appropriately considering you know, the profound change in the outlook that's been caused by, 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 by the coronavirus. You mentioned the collapse of in oil prices in 2015, and oil prices have fallen around 40% in the last few weeks. What are the implications of that collapse in global oil prices? Alex, I, th- I think you're absolutely right th- to reference the fall in the oil price. In the medium term, lower oil prices are good for consumers and oil importing economies in Asia and Europe, but it is going to hurt US growth, and it is undoubtedly fueling stress in financial markets. Uh, So energy and mining companies account for around 15% of the US high yield market and more than 10% of the investment grade uh, market. If oil prices stay at their current levels, we will get a big increase in defaults by high yield energy companies. They simply are not viable at current oil prices of 30-odd uh, dollars per barrel. And I think we'd also see a large number of uh, rating downgrades from uh, investment grade into high high yield as, as well. So I think the collapse in oil prices has certainly been uh, you know, an, another driver of uh, the volatility that we've seen in financial markets and, and does have important implications, I think, for credit investors. How should and indeed how will policymakers respond? Will central banks cutting interest rates help? 
if the virus means companies will produce less and consumers spend less? Yeah, I mean, the the, the issue with a supply as well as a demand shock and the nature of this shock being you know, uh, the spread of a virus is that uh, if interest rates are cut, doesn't make us more likely to go out and uh, spend money in restaurants or go travelling um, uh, and also doesn't help companies that are facing shortages in terms of inputs because of the shutdown that we've had in uh, China, which which of course is extending to to, to parts of uh, uh, extending to parts of Europe. So yeah, look, you know, monetary policy isn't going to really help spending in the near term uh, because the virus is really having the opposite effect. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't help in the sense I do think lower interest rates will, you know, offset some of the tightening and financial conditions that we've seen for. Um, uh, businesses certainly in the US, it will boost household incomes as as, as households uh, refinance mortgages at um, lower rates. In that sense, I think also we're going to get another fifty basis point rate cut by the Fed um, at or even before its next meeting in uh, March. But but the amount of monetary ammunition is running low. That's, that's really being highlighted, I think, at the moment in terms of both the ECB and the Bank of uh, Japan. They just don't have many bullets left. Uh, that said, they do have a vital role in providing uh, liquidity, which is going to be pretty crucial, I think, over the, um, uh, over the coming weeks. Uh, more important than monetary policy, which I think is kind of what you're alluding to, Alex, is, is, is fiscal policy. Um, we do need uh, uh, you know, a, a fiscal policy reaction targeted to ensure that you know, viable businesses don't go bust because of cash flow problems, because they can't gain access to credit. So things that um, you know, encourage uh, continued bank uh, liquidity and lending to uh, small and uh, medium-sized businesses, clearly support for uh, workers who are going to be affected by um, the, the, the virus, obviously the health services across countries. But also, more generally, fiscal stimulus, I think, is important to provide consumers, consumers and businesses that the virus-related downturn in demand is ultimately going to be temporary. If you think it's going to be temporary, then you're not going to be laying off workers, you're not going to be cutting uh, capex. If you start thinking that this is actually going to get even worse, but also then be very prolonged and, 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 go into, and there won't be a recovery in the second half, um, then, uh, then, then, then clearly that can become almost self-fulfilling. So I think both monetary but especially fiscal policy is very important to providing that confidence that we are going to kind of come through the other side of this you know, it, during the course of this year. So investors are right to be worried about growth. Does that mean it's likely that there'll be a global recession? I mean, it's hard to answer in the sense that, um, you know, what constitutes a global recession or, 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 or not. Um, it's evident that Europe is going into recession much of Asia is in uh, recession. I think US growth, particularly in the second quarter, will be you know, close to zero. And I wouldn't be surprised if we had a, uh, a sort of negative GDP growth print um, in, in the US uh, as, as well. I think the key issue, though, for investors is not so much whether you know, the economy enters 
technically defined recession or not. I mean, it's going to be a hard slowdown or even stop um, in the first half of this year. But it's whether that downturn will ultimately prove short-lived and whether we'll get a you know, reasonably strong rebound in um, the second half. And, and the answer to that question really depends on a lot of unknowns. Um, it depends on the success of measures to mitigate the spread of the virus, um, how quickly China gets fully back to work. It's not yet fully back to work. And the extent of the global policy stimulus that we were talking about um, earlier. I mean, our, our current assessment is that the virus will be brought under control over the next you know, six weeks or so, that you know, we will get fiscal stimulus, albeit you know, relatively um, piecemeal. China supply and demand is coming back online and we will get a global growth pickup in the second half. But you have to acknowledge the uncertainties associated with what's you know, pretty unprecedented in terms of the shock to the economy coming from a pandemic and, you know, changes in public behaviour, the uncertainties around the policy response. And I do think the risks are skewed uh, to the downside. A base case means that after a near-term hit to the global economy, growth will pick up. With the big sell-off in credit and emerging markets, does this mean this is a buying opportunity for investors? Well, it's certainly the case that valuations in credit and in emerging market assets are approaching much more um, attractive levels and even more so if, as we believe, the virus shock to the global economy uh, will prove temporary and ultimately the economic damage um, will be largely uh, uh, repaired. So, yeah, just as an example, historically, if if, if you look at... Um, situation which we have now, so say US high yield, and, and let's strip out the energy companies, which as we discussed are, are in uh, hot water as they were, um, then with spreads above 550 basis points, so you get an extra 5.5% extra yield over um, safe government bonds, over treasuries for uh, investing in those uh, or holding those uh, those bonds, then historically the chances of a positive return over a two-year horizon has actually been very high. The big caveat to that is that we are in this unprecedented situation. We don't really have a playbook for this kind of pandemic, this kind of shock hitting the world's largest uh, economies. And as of yet, we still really haven't seen fiscal policymakers step up to the play. Um, you know, as we discussed earlier, central banks are, you know, starting to run out of um, ammunition. So, uh, yeah, you know, history would say we are at levels where um, investors should be thinking about when do I start coming back into uh, uh, back into the market. But I, but I do think that. You know, we are in unprecedented times. And I think in that sense, I think caution um, would be the sort of better part of valour. What are the key developments that you think investors should look out for in the coming weeks? Well, as I'm sure investors are doing, the first and foremost is actually the evolution of the spread of the virus and the public and policy response to that. Um, experts advise that the number of confirmed cases will rise exponentially over the coming weeks across Europe, you know, beyond uh, Italy, including in the United Kingdom, and you know, very importantly, including in uh, the United States. And I think I, I 
not sure that markets and investors have really priced in the implications of the widespread of the virus and measures to try to mitigate that and lockdowns extending across Europe and even less, I think, markets have really priced that happening in uh, the US. And I think there's a concern that I have, at least in terms of the outlook for the spread of the virus in, in, in the US, because I, because I think as of yet, we've yet to see a really concerted and coherent health policy response, let alone um, a, a fiscal policy response. All that being said, I think once the inflection point in the number of cases is, is is reached, or at least that the peak in the virus is in sight, then I think the negative impact on the economy will begin to fade. I think markets will look forward to that rebound. And we could actually get quite a, a, a sharp rebound in, in, in asset prices. I think the second thing to look for is in terms of this fiscal st- stimulus, um, would have much more confidence in the economic damage being limited and a rebound being in place if there's a fiscal stimulus in the pipeline. Um, On the downside, I think it's important to clearly track defaults, uh, rating downgrade trends across credit. I think look for signs of uh, liquidity stress. Um, If our base case that this sharp growth downturn in the first half ultimately does prove temporary as the virus is brought under control, there will be an opportunity, I think, for investors to meaningfully increase uh, exposure to credit and uh, emerging markets. I just don't think we're quite there yet. Last question. Looking beyond the near-term hit from the coronavirus, are there any key themes that investors should consider? Yeah, it's sometimes quite hard to think beyond (laughs) what's happening uh, right now. But um, I do think that the experience of the coronavirus will accelerate an existing trend, which is that deglobalization theme that you and I have um, sp- uh, spoken about. And I think, you know, it's going to reinforce or uh, that sort of shrinking of global uh, supply chains. And I think it's worth thinking about, you know, what are the winners and losers and disruptions that may come uh, from, from that. I also do think that global and US interest rates, bond yields have been reset lower. I mean, even if central banks and, and, and even if the Fed does ultimately unwind some of the rate cuts that it's done in response to the uh, impact of the virus on the economy. I, th- I think we've been reset lower. And in that respect, this will mark the time when, if you like, the US has basically joined the Europe and, and, and Japan in having you know ultra-low um, uh, interest rates. And I think in that environment, I think once again, investors are going to have to turn back to credit and emerging market debt in search of return, in search of uh, yield. So I think that that theme that's been pretty prevalent within you know Europe and, and Japan, you know that where you have to rotate from government bonds into uh, credit, is actually going to happen in in the US as well. Um, you know, once we're on the other side of this uh, coronavirus outbreak. Thanks, David, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Alex. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission, 
and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the FCA only and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except for suitant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials the offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay Fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay Fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.